Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Man, Jeff Tweedy does it all. He writes beautiful songs. He sings like a bird. He writes poems. He writes prose. He makes me laugh super hard. In fact, I tried specifically not to laugh, or at least not to over-laugh, during this interview because I knew that I just do. Whenever, whenever I listen to him talk, I just can't help it. I failed. Spoiler alert. You will hear a lot of me laughing in the background. He's just, he's got a natural ease about him, an openness, a vulnerability that I find characterizes the best guests in interviews, especially for the Wheels Off format. It's true that you can go read Let's Go So We Can Get Back to find out stories of his life, early life. It's true you can read How to Write One Song, his new book, where he really breaks down in minute and incredibly useful detail his creative process. It's true, you could go read those. Boy, you could save a little time. Listen to this Wheels Off interview with Jeff Tweedy. Welcome to Wheels Off, Jeff Tweedy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> for the uh, for the edification of our listeners, where are you right now? I'm in my basement in Chicago. Nice. <laughs> That's great. Um, I see you've got guitars behind you on the wall. Is there any significance to those guitars? Are they randoms? Uh, they're they're pretty random. <laughs> this is, yeah, I don't know. That's one that the kids have been knocking around for ten years or so. My gosh. So, okay. So congratulations on how to write one song. I've been listening to the audiobook and it's brilliant and you do a great job, not only um, like reading the audiobook, which is, I think, probably a harder thing than most people realize, but also really explaining in very simple, easy to understand terms, how to write one song. It's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. 
<laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, reading reading a book. Um, I thought I would I I thought I would never do it after my first book because it was one of the worst things that ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was so frustrating, and we did it at at our loft, which. Um, we've kind of made peace with the fact that the loft isn't particularly well insulated from outside like noise, but recording an audio book, uh, you can't, you can't just deal with a siren going through <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, truck honking and stuff like that. So, uh, a lot of starting and stopping. And most of it was because I couldn't read out loud at the same level I think I was able to write write the book. <laughs> it's like out of practice from, you know, when the kids were younger, I read out loud a lot, you know, but, um, you know, you lose, it's a, it's a weird skill. It is. It is a weird skill. And I wonder too, because the first book was um, autobiographical. And I know even on how to write one song, you, you get into some personal stuff, which I think is really great because that's such a big part of what we do as songwriters, but maybe, because the first book was so autobiographical and dealt with some tough things. Maybe did that make it just tougher to read in general, or was it just freaking words and sound? It's just hear words, <laughs> hearing myself talk, getting <laughs> nervous. I went through, I went, I feel like I went through a whole three or four hour period where I, I would stumble on the word Wilco. Every oh, no. <laughs> I couldn't, I, I couldn't say Wilco. Good thing that word probably didn't appear very often in the oh, book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a woo. Like it was really, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how yeah you can it, in in baseball you would they would say you got the yips. I got yips. the yips. I was like, <laughs> I was like Chuck Knobloch. I wondered too. I think there's a word for that, and it happens a lot when people are you know tripping or whatever, where you land on a word and then you just can't stop saying the word because you're like linen. Yeah. you know whatever it is yeah it just loses all meaning like you know uh yeah words words empty themselves out sometimes and you like start to see it as a as four or five letters that just don't it doesn't make any sense <laughs> that that's a word um that's all, that happens to me all the time the so the well yeah that's a very weird word yeah um, so you do a lot. I mean, you do a lot. I, 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 I tune in pretty frequently to uh, the Tweety show, which you guys are doing on Instagram Live, which is so great. Oh, thank you. I mean, and Susie, the unseen sort of uh, puppet master behind the camera, <laughs> is such just she's such a beam of light, which I guess has always been maybe her thing a little bit. That's why she can't be in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> she's so yeah, blinding. <laughs> So, but I guess my impression is that you're doing a lot all the time. And I'm wondering what creative project you're working on right now, primarily, and, and how does it light you up? Um, well, uh, I'm working on a Wilco record and writing um, Wilco songs and... Uh, which I don't normally think of songs I'm writing as Wilco songs or solo songs, but so that's that's a little bit new to just like con consciously think of. Basically, I'm trying to use this process um, that has been forced upon us uh, by the pandemic, 
where we're not going to have an easy time getting together safely. And and Wilco has made a lot of music like that remotely. And I've I've worked on I usually write in the studio. And so by the time Wilco's all in one place, I've created pretty usable demos that people just kind of overdub on and, and things like that. We've done a um we've done a lot of recording like that successfully and 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 in a way that everybody feels, you know, pretty satisfied by. But we've been uh, we started a record in January uh, last year, and and uh, and that was all the the process was going to be that we're all in the same room, like the way we've made some other records, and uh, we were wanting to get wanting to get back to that sort of uh, camaraderie and and feeling. Uh, uh, you just can't you can't substitute it. So it's it's uh, it's just something we felt like we needed to get back to as a band. And obviously, we aren't haven't been able to do that. So, um, I've been trying to present a song a day to everybody on a in a text thread uh, that I only allow myself to play on acoustic guitar into a voice memo, just to just to get everybody. Um, familiarized with the songs that I'm thinking of and basically to kind of have this dialogue going back and forth, but trying to force myself to only concentrate and feel responsible for the part that I'm doing on a, on a guitar and, and singing the song and trying to put it across and connect with my friends. And, uh, it's been good. It's been really, um, you know, I think it's really always a, a better way to, to think about a song in a for me personally is to think of it as something that I can try and put across by myself and and then allow the different environments that these songs end up in Wilco being one of the environments to shape shape how it's um uh, presented to the world so you've really been able to write pretty effectively it sounds like during the lockdown um yeah I think it's it's an ingrained uh reaction to stress and 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 uh you know it's been a it's been a, other people's records have been a consolation for sure in my life but um it's a it's a learned I think it's a learned behavior that if I can make myself um pick up the guitar and force myself to start focusing on um trying to make a song i feel better and and time goes by um in a way that doesn't feel painful yeah <laughs> i think you i think you really um examine that in in a in a great way in how to write one song and i and i one thing i took away from it and it's something i've done my own versions of over the years i really love the tricks you use you know the the different ways that you'll just get inspired by a different, you know, a word or a story, or you'll give yourself certain constraints or you'll make yourself right from the perspective of a character. The, the workman like approach that you take to doing something that winds up feeling magical to the listener, you know, to, to me, when I listen to your songs, thinking of you just having to sit down and use these tricks and do these things. I love it. The demystification I think is, is one of my favorite things about the book. Yeah, I just like I just trust that most people, if they allow themselves uh, 
if you're sitting, say you're sitting in a in a waiting room his office or something, and you see somebody walks in, you didn't create that person, but you over time, over a couple of hours, if you're if you are bored and you're paying attention, you might start to create a, a narrative for that person. You might start to think of that person. What was what? What is their life like? Your imagination goes wild. And, and um, if you allow it to, and, and most people, that's how like they kind of experience some of the that same stuff that I think songwriting comes from. It's just like trying to trying to make sense of the world, trying to find some meaning. But, you know, um, basically the tricks in the book are are ways to just introduce a person to the room that you're in, you know, just a way to introduce something that you're going, your brain is going to have to react to and go, well, this doesn't make sense at all. Uh, um, what am I missing? And that's what our brains are really good at is filling in what we're missing. What, 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 what am I missing? You know, what am I missing about this guy? Why is he wearing a, uh, uh, you know, a scarf that looks like it came, you know, whatever, like whatever silly detail you fixate on. Um, that's just something that the universe gives you that, that part is, um, but, but we all, um, we've all learned to, I don't know, the songwriter, um, sort of, I've looked at it as sort of full, full modesty a lot of times. It's like, I'm just a conduit for the for this song. It just comes through me. And I get that impulse. I get that, that it feels like it's not from you. Um, but I am the universe. I am. So I don't, I, 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 that's my philosophy is I don't think I'm that much different from or separate from the universe. So it's, it's, I can still think of it as me and have it. That's not necessarily an egotistical thing, you know? No. And, um, it's more egotistical probably to say I'm just a conduit because that sort of implies that God chose you out of all of his people. Exactly. exactly. There's an exalted, I have, uh, you know, I don't, it might not happen for you because you probably, (laughs) aren't a conduit you know i am just a bit of vessel that the lord has chosen to to you know fill with with okay songs well it's funny you reminded me with your waiting room analogy of something that michael shabon said when i interviewed him for wheels off where he was talking about he was talking about specifically technology and the way that it can get in the way of opening yourself up to the world around you. He was describing sitting in, I may, I may do a disservice to his uh, point, but um, it was basically uh, you are in a restaurant and there's a table with a four top behind you and what's going on with them right now. Like, and he went through a whole, a whole scenario of what could be happening. You know, there's a couple and they're fighting with, you know, and um, you could, listen to that and turn that into an entire novel out of that dinner or you could look at your phone and or listen you know listen to a podcast or something and not that there's anything wrong with either of those things inherently no i i yeah i don't i do a lot of of both activities and i (laughs) find it you know uh i'm not particularly distressed by my relationship with my phone i'm not like I'm not a, a a technology doomsayer like you need to put it away and you know like I don't I I think it's obviously there are things that are good and bad about it and you should be wary of of anything you're spending a lot of time doing that you 
um, that you're compelled to do without thought. And that seems to be the big problem with, with phones and social media is like that you see people reaching for it and, and that doesn't seem to like there's anybody at, at home steering, (laughs) (laughs) which really reminds me of drug use, you know, like when I used to be an addict and uh, I find myself in the closet going through pockets of coats I hadn't worn in a while, you know, there's got to be some pills in here somewhere. Yeah, Uh, ditto. (laughs) So there's a, there's a a thing um, that is very, I think very real that you should be cautious about, but but uh but yeah there's i think you always uh if you can stay tuned into your environment i i don't i don't think you generally regret it <laughs> exactly yeah it's i i i look at max my my son max is 17 now and um tiktok is just it's such catnip or worse whatever drug yeah. analogy you want but mm-hmm. i'll watch him and and he'll be posted up for a long time scrolling and scrolling and um and i'll say what are you doing he'll just be like spamming talks dad i'm spamming talks (laughs) (laughs) you just can't stop wow um okay so if we were and this you cover a lot of this obviously in in both of the books but if we were to go back to when you were a kid and you were first starting to be aware of yourself as um, what you are, what you were going to be. Do you remember a moment when you wanted to be a songwriter? Do you remember like an epiphany moment where you knew this was going to be your life? Um, not really. Uh, no, I, I honestly don't. I, I, I think that... Um, I don't know if I put it in either of the books, but I, but I probably did. But my mom always compl- uh, used to tell people that I would stand, and uh, when I first, even before I could really walk, I would pull myself up on the family stereo, which was a giant council stereo, like an old, you know, uh, hi-fi system uh, from the '60s, early '60s. And she said I would pull myself up on it and point at the turntable and cry until she put <sighs> And we didn't have a lot of records, but, you know, we had like Marty Robbins and some uh, 101 strings and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, records that probably came with the hi-fi, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, so that connection was there very early beyond my memory of, 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 uh, our discovery of it. There was no conscious moment. Um, and I think that because of that, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think that I, um, uh, I, I would live in a fairly delusional world. I think I was, I was lonely. I was, I was like, 10 years younger than my youngest brother. So I had older parents and I was alone in the house. I was the youngest, but I was also kind of an only child. And I think that loneliness is more responsible for creativity and, and a need to live in some sort of imagine imagination than all of the, 
uh, credit that's been given to mental illness and drugs and, and as being forces and creativity. They're not. But those things do isolate you. And isolation is absolutely uh, a catalyst for, for imagination, I think. And so uh, I kind of credit it. Uh, I credit that loneliness for being uh uh, kind of needing to think of myself as something. And if I fall in love with songs, it makes sense to me that I said, well, I do that. That's what I do. And I think that that's what I did. I think I just told myself, oh, that's the thing that I do. The songs? Oh, yeah, I do that. <laughs> and and uh, over time, I guess as I get older, you become become, become a teenager, you, you try and learn how to be social. Uh, I learned that that's not what you do. You don't just tell people you know how to do stuff. But I did. I would tell people, I oh yeah, I think I probably told Jay Farrar the first time I met him, oh yeah, I write songs. You know? And I, I, mean, I probably had written a little bit at that time, but not in anything that would make most people confident enough to say they're a song. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that would happen when I tried to be, uh, when my mother would like, get some guitar lessons for me uh when i was really young uh i would be sent home with a little you know uh, scale or something to learn or some simple melody that i needed to learn and then i would go back to the next uh lesson and i will have come up with something and i, I would i remember like you know the teacher saying well did you learn what what i sent you home with and i was like no but is this a song and I remember playing something that I had made for them. And they're like, I don't know. I, what about what I asked you to do? You know, now it's a song. <laughs> yeah. I remember like very, I don't think I went back after that because you, there was so much frustration on both sides. Um, but uh, but anyway, th does that answer your question? I yeah, guess. totally. Well, I love the image of you as like um as a tiny little kid pulling yourself up and crying at the stereo. I have, cause I've always n known you to be someone that really loves music. Whereas from what I've know of you, you, you find new records, you dig into old records. I, Mur my, you know, my bass player in the old 97s, Murray Hammond is always telling me um, about, he's like, well, you know what Tweety really loves? He loves can and all that German art rock and noise. <laughs> like, so, which Murray's super into. So, I mean, but it, it goes way beyond that. Like, like, I feel like I know what I've come across, but I feel like, you know, like everything. Are you a big, big music librarian in your brain? Um, uh, I have, I, I hesitate to say yes. Uh, I think I have an, an above average consumption level of, of music and I have sustained that for a pretty long time now uh, for or all, you know, all the way back to like, you know, maybe 10 years old to now, I think I've been had a pretty steady diet of looking for things to listen to. And, but I hesitate to say that because I also have friends that are just, just incredible uh, crate diggers, you know, like just people that, have devoted their entire life to finding records. And, and I have, uh, I love that I have friends like that because it, it kind of, it, it, uh, they find stuff and share it with me. And, and 
um, it's a lot of work. Um, as much as you think that everything is online, it's not. There's ton. There's still tons of records that aren't in print or aren't um, easy to find even on the internet. And um, uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, I've never actually thought of myself in a in a collector sense uh, as being precious about that side of it. I don't I don't need to have any everything. I don't need a pristine copy of everything. I don't know the catalog numbers of stuff the way some people do. I'm not an not an audiophile. Um uh, but I but I I just want to hear the songs. I just want to hear the consciousness and try and imagine what what made somebody make this. And uh, and and I think it's a sense of awe. I want that sense of awe that I don't understand how something happened. And that's like, usually that's for people when they look up at the stars or, you know, uh, contemplate the universe and, um, or get lost in nature or something. I, I find, I find that in records and, and, and I search for it because it's, um, over time, you start to figure out, oh, I, I kind of get how they did that. I kind of like there's certain records that they don't lose their appeal, really, but they lose that certain sense of awe that you find when you're confronted with a record that you have no idea how it came into being. And I and there there are records being released like that every every week, you know, all, always and, and there always will be, I think. I love that. And it's um, it's sweet when we first started talking just now, you brought up your one survival mechanism for you during the pandemic, during the lockdown has been to find and listen to a lot of music. So I guess I wonder, um, and you, and of course, like a lot of this stuff is stuff that, but, and I, during the introduction, I encouraged everyone to find and read your books just because they, you know, a lot of musicians, if, when they say they're going to write, you know, it's the ungenerous, but knee-jerk reaction is usually stay in your lane, bro. But yeah. um, but your your voice as a writer is so, and uh, and I guess I expected this just from what I do know of you as a person. It's so clear and gentle and honest and vulnerable, and it's great. I think your books are fantastic, and I know you cover a lot of this in your books. But I wonder if you could, for the sake of our listeners, say um. When you've had to deal with like the internally generated obstacles, anxiety, depression, uh, you know, one thing that comes up a lot is um, imposter syndrome or, you know, even like um, success guilt, you know, the different things that come up as um, as an artist for you as a person. How how do you deal with that? Um, uh I uh, well, I don't know if I would I don't know if I would loop uh, uh, group all of those specific issues into the same uh, hurdle, you know. Um, imposter syndrome uh, is uh, I. I don't know if I had to deal with that as much, to be honest. I don't know if I, but I don't, but I, um, but I do know that I get super uncomfortable when 
I am confronted with uh, the idea of being uh, at a certain level with with fans or something like that. You know, like so. I think I've I've figured out some sort of mental jujitsu to not have to contemplate success on that level, as you know, and then maybe that ties into. Uh, the idea of feeling guilty about a certain level of success or something. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, like they're projecting. Like, something on. I think I had a difficult time admitting that I had fans or, you know, so that's a little bit of, it's not faux modesty. It's just a little bit of a fear of accepting that, that, that you've, you've made that connection. Uh, there's a disc, just discomfort with that responsibility, maybe even. Or maybe I, they project something onto you that you could never even deliver because they're expecting some mythic being. Well, I, I just, um, I know that one emotion I have a really difficult time with is, is, is jealousy. And I somehow have lumped, um, some of the ways fans develop relationships with artists as having some connection to jealousy, like there can be some adversarial like component to it, which I'm, I get really super uncomfortable with and I'm uncomfortable with it on both sides. I don't ever like to think of other artists in, in ways. And I know sometimes when I feel, Oh, I think I'm just jealous of that guy or I'm just jealous that they're, they're getting that attention for that record. And I, and I hate it. I just like, I fucking hate that feeling. Um, um, so, so to answer the question regarding those particular topics, I think I just try and self analyze and, and, and shun, <laughs> you know, not condemn myself for having those feelings, but what, but, but, but most of the time things like that go, or they, they sort of just evaporate when you identify them like, Oh, Oh, I get it. I'm uncomfortable because I'm jealous and that sucks. But, um, but that's what it is. And then you, then I think you, you, you're, maybe transcended a little bit because you've kind of put yourself squarely back in your body and back in your, you know, your existence. And, um, uh, as far as anxiety, that's a lifelong thing. And all of these other topics, all of these other things that you worry about have the potential to, to escalate into full blown panic or anxiety because I have a biology that, that, um, that allows that to happen. And, um, and it's sort of the same, I guess, solution is that just getting better and better over years and years and years of, of, of oh, that's what it is, you know, being able to separate, which has been very hard this year. Uh, on one hand, being able to separate what's a normal amount of anxiety to have about a, have about a stressful situation, which um, that's always the trick with any mental illness. Is this a normal amount of happiness or is this a alarming amount of happiness? You know, like people don't realize that we, 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 we have a hierarchy of what are acceptable moods and, and emotions, but all of them can be potentially harmful in, in extreme doses, you know? So it's, it's, it's okay to feel sad. Um, you probably need to get some help if you, have an excessive amount of sadness, you know, like, but with anxiety, uh, the main thing that I tell myself is I know what's happening and what is going to happen based on my experience is that I'm 
going to feel different probably sooner than I think. And I will have a tough time remembering how scary I feel, how afraid I feel right now. And which is the, well, the experience of anxiety for me is like, there are times where I just feel like, oh, I'm invincible. I can't believe I've ever, I would ever panic, you know? And uh, why would, why did I find this so scary? Uh, the situation. Um, uh, and then there are, uh, but in that, in those moments, like that's the, that's the hardest thing. And, um, you don't think you'll ever be different. You think that this time it's permanent. This time, sure, I'm never going to feel the same again. I'm never going to feel capable of coping with the world again. And um, and I, over many many decades now, I, I, the evidence is in, and I have more access to it that tells myself, nah, it's you didn't eat enough today, and you didn't get enough sleep. And uh, what you probably should do is take a walk and, and, and try and get yourself in a condition where you can go to bed, you know, or, you know, like the next right thing. I'm always like, what is the next right thing that I can do feeling how I feel right now? And it's usually extremely simple. It's the next right thing is usually, I don't know, uh, Go put the load of laundry in the dryer that you just put in the washer. <laughs> you know, like that's a good thing to do. Um, My mom used to have a checklist of, uh, are you hungry? Do you need to poop? <laughs> you know, just like that really basic stuff. Exactly. And usually it was one of the, you know, are you tired? Do you? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it is remarkably simple. We're really not that complicated in, in a lot of ways. And, um, uh, but yeah, and I, I, you know, as a father, you find yourself saying those things to your kids all the time, you know, um, they share my biology. And so, you know, it's just like, well, I don't know. Uh, uh, that sucks, <laughs> but you're going to be okay. <laughs> you know, I, of all of the things that can happen to you uh, on this planet, um, dealing with some of those issues isn't the worst. Um, and that's not to discredit that, that, that suffering it's, it's real, but it's good to, I think it's good to remind yourself that it is, it, it is manageable. And for some people there are much serious, much more serious, I think, um, uh, conditions, especially including mental health conditions that aren't as manageable for sure. So. Yeah. And I do think you do such a great job on John Moe's uh, hilarious world of depression in getting into this stuff even more in depth. <laughs> so I'd recommend listeners, if you're interested, to get to Jeff's. I was on there too. I wrote the theme song for that podcast. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um Crazy. <laughs> With some help from Ben Acker, the writer, who reminded me of the Paiachi story. Mm. You know the Paiachi story? The, okay. It's just, it's an old, <laughs> it's, it's a quick, um, it's a thing that, uh, so there's a, a clown goes in to see a doctor and he says, I'm, I'm so sad. I can't shake this sadness. And the doctor says, um, oh, you know, oh, a, ma- 
see, I ruin every joke. A man goes in to see a doctor, says there's a, the doctor says, well, there's this clown in town tonight and he's the world's greatest clown. And then he's mm-hmm. guaranteed to make anyone that sees him happy. Mm-hmm. His name is Paiachi. And the, and the guy says, I am Paiachi. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I have heard that. But, it's, uh, it's so true. <laughs> okay. So I, I can't let you off the wheels off hook without asking you the big final question that I thought of for the first time, nobody else ever thought of this question. It is, <laughs> if you were to encounter a 21-year-old version of Jeff Tweedy in today's world, mm-hmm. what advice would you give young you? Um, uh, I mean, there's so much. Uh, <laughs> there's so many. There, I mean, I'm... Uh, I practically have a 21-year-old version of myself living in this house. <laughs> Not to project too much onto him. He's his own person, for sure. Uh, uh, and you have to respect that autonomy and, and stuff. But but I think about this question all the time. Um, I think the main thing I, I... Some of the stuff I've already said today, I think, is some of the, some of the main things I would tell myself. It's like, this isn't... This isn't going to last forever. Um, uh, I don't know. When I, I think one of the lessons that I think is the most helpful to people um, is this isn't your fault, and and that's a that's a pretty long, complicated discussion to have when there are obviously choices that people make that cause their own suffering and 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 enhance their own suffering or uh you know mag, mag uh magnify their own suffering but uh i think it's rarely entirely one's own fault and um i think it's really helpful to be able to distinguish those two things um uh what is your responsibility and what do you just have to identify and see as being something that you're afflicted with that you deal with um and and those are the choices that you have to make but you can't make those choices until you separate those things um uh figure out which part is your responsibility. And um, because otherwise I think you just get lost in the, the wholesale condemnation of yourself or the wholesale delusion of yourself. Um, And you vacillate between the two perhaps. And um, so I don't know if my 20, my 21 year old self would already be tuned out by now. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be like, whatever, fucking old man, I don't get it, you know. But uh, no, actually, I think my 21-year-old self would have been extremely um, appreciative of being told. I don't, I didn't have any examples of, of people that got better for hardly my whole life. Um, and dealt with a lot of the same biological issues, substance issues, 
And uh, so, yeah, I think it would have been profound to me to have somebody say something that made, I think that would have made sense to me that there's not, because I know that actually, I know that because it did end up making sense to me. It did end up making sense to me that, that I, I could take responsibility, but I could also be given my own, um, uh, forgiveness. Now I could, I could forgive myself for things that I, I did not like about myself and, and that they wouldn't always be entirely my fault because it's not, you just put here, you know, and your parents and everything. I don't want, it can all, it all adds up and it's not all your fault. And I, well, I love the self kindness that's um, implicit in your answer. I, I do. I think that, I think that is, I think that's just who you are, Jeff. I think you're a really um, talk about a beam of light. I'm, I'm really <laughs> grateful to get to know you. Um, I think you're an inspiration and I'm really glad that you sat down with me for wheels off. Thank you so oh, much. Man, thanks for having me. And, and, and likewise, we've, we've, um, been around each other a lot over the years we haven't spent a whole lot of time together but but i've always looked at you as a beam of light absolutely oh shucks well thank you take care all right thank you so much for listening to wheels off please be sure to rate and review the show on itunes that helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to also As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.